is the main event. What you gonna do? If you're so mad, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. Woo! Yeah! Ooh, yeah. I am the game. Costoco said so. Oh my god! What I'd like to have right now. Rest in peace, Waterrush. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Are you ready? Everyone has a price. Yeah, I come here to fight. Sandy innovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Introducing your old school pro wrestling nostalgia podcast, Beyond the Bell. We say hello to the bad guy. We cap off last year's edition of the WWE Hall of Fame 2014. It's been a year in the making, but we finally got it done. Welcome to Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network. I'm your party host, Sean Beckerman, back with you to bring you all things retro in wrestling. And yes, tonight we relive the Hall of Fame career 
of the bad guy, Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, tonight. I know we owed it to you last year during our WrestleMania theme month content, and like I mentioned, due to production issues, it was pushed back, and with all the shows that we've had, it's been pushed back further and further. We lost some audio, but now it's recorded in the can. Tonight, we take you through the historic and now Hall of Fame career of Scott Hall. Last year, he went in under the Razor Ramon character. A great show for you fans this week, plus our old school theme of the week, our match of the week, uh, we'll announce it right off the bat, why don't we? The historic ladder match between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon from WrestleMania 10. We'll discuss that throughout his illustrious career. Plus, of course, one of his historic themes will cap off our song of the week. And also, we'll relive some retro and classic audio throughout the bad guy's career. So after this quick break... We start at the beginning as Scott Hall's career began with him shopping for a steak. A steak is what led to the creation of the bad guy. Find out why after this quick timeout. Anybody out there watching, we're a unit. The four horsemen are not four individuals. Anytime you see the four horsemen together, it's something special. We are the studs in professional wrestling. Were you a kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing, limousine-rodding, jet-flying son of a gun? Well, then you will love the Horseman Files on Beyond the Bell, your pro wrestling nostalgia podcast. Host Sean Beckerman breaks down the history of one of the most illustrious groups in professional wrestling, the Four Horsemen. Each edition breaks down each year in Horseman history and the impact they played on the industry so get your bomber jacket and aviator sunglasses ready and tune into the horseman files on beyond the bell here on the sns radio network i don't want to blow our own horn but toot toot we're the best team in professional wrestling throughout history Before the Rattlesnake, before DX, before The Rock, one man proved that it could be good to be the bad guy. Say hello to Razor Ramon, El Jefe. When that music played, got that machismo going. Hey, Ray, so what happened to you last night? He knew he was the man. Get out of here. Adios. I was always a big fan of Razor Ramon. Just push kids in the fountains and just being awesome. I cleared his table for you, man. The toothpick, the way he held himself, it was just magic. Something happened to this boy. Something going to happen to you, man. 
came and called himself the bad guy, acted like a bad guy, but people loved him. He actually made it cool to be the bad guy. Nobody beats the bad guy. Razor was great. Big guy, great ring. Here comes the patented Razor's Edge. The guy would lift you over his head and throw you on the ground. That's a long way down. All I want is their world and everything in it. And what Razor wants, Razor gets. Yes, yes, yes. Becoming the first ever four-time Intercontinental Champion. great ladder matches that have taken place in history and yet here we are how many years later and we're still talking about Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon and we should be perfect scenario Wrestlemania who's the real intercontinental champion oh history is made seeing them do what they do I was completely blown away This was their chance to get to the next level. And they went out there and just knocked out the park. I cannot believe Ramon is the undisputed Intercontinental Champion. Grace Ramon finally held up both Intercontinental titles. It was awesome. It was such a great match that it upped the ante of the whole industry. Everybody that worked at Razor Remote came out the other side twice as good or even better than they were before. With the legacy that he's left, I think it's really cool that the bad guy's getting inducted to the Hall of Fame. Look at me now. was born on October 20th, 1958. His legendary career has spanned over three decades. Scott has certainly made his mark on the professional wrestling world. He's held major titles in the AWA, the WWF, WCW, and the WWC over the past two decades in the industry. He's known as one of the founders of the infamous New World Order faction. His recognizable all over the world. And to think, it might not have ever even happened had Hall not had a craving for a steak. The story goes that Hall went to the supermarket one day in 1984 and ran into Barry Windham, who had already been wrestling for years. The two clicked right away, with Hall trading under Windham as well as getting personal time with 
other wrestlers, such as the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and Hiro Matsuda. Hall soon was working the wrestling circuit, teaming with Dan Spivey as the American Starship. Hall was also known as Starship Coyote, while Spivey was known as Starship Eagle. As rookies, the two rarely came out as the victors, as one would expect, but Hall was getting the experience he needed at that point. The winner of the wrestling match, Big Scott Hall. Yes. Scott Tomstone, a tough competitor, but I've never seen anyone survive that bulldog move of yours. Well, that's right, Larry. You know, I've been real successful with it so far. Every time I've done it so far, it's been one, two, three. And like, like you said, that Tom Stone's a veteran. He's been around for a long time. He's a tough competitor. He gave me all I can handle tonight. Let's talk about the AWA series that's coming up of Battle Royals across the country. You're one of the obvious favorites because of your size and your strength. Well, I, I've been real successful in some Battle Royals in the past. I was fortunate enough to win one in Milwaukee. I won a big one in St. Paul Thanksgiving night. And uh, as you know, that's when all the big money's on the line. Another added incentive to draw some of the top stars from around the country was to include a shot at Nick, Nick Bockwinkel's title belt. And, uh, you know, for me, I see it as a chance to maybe pay back some people who've done me wrong. My partner, Kurt Henning, and myself, as you well know, tag team champions of the world. And now in a battle roar, we're going to have a chance to settle some odds. You know, we're looking for a few people. You know who you are. Buddy Rose, you're one. Doug Summers, you're one. The Colonel De Beers, he's one. We're going to have everybody in the match there together. Everybody in one ring. Should be a lot of excitement and a chance for us to settle some old scores. No doubt about that. Big Scott Hall with scores to settle, money to win, and maybe a championship match to look forward to as the AWA Championship Series comes down the road. But, of course, the Battle Royal, the most dangerous event in wrestling. And, Scott, good luck. Thank you, Scott Hall. More action coming your way right after this. In 1985, Hall came to the American Wrestling Association where he filled a hole left by a recently departed wrestler. You may have heard of him, Hulk Hogan. Hall was taken in by Vern Gagne, who wanted to create someone similar to the Hulkster. Hall grew a handlebar mustache and became a top face for the promotion. He teamed with second-generation star Kurt Henning. Hall and Henning proved us to be a strong team, winning the AWA World Tag Team titles over Jimmy Garvin and Steve Regal in January of 1986. That's right. You know, the Fabulous Freebirds are one of the well-knownest teams and the top teams in the nation right now, Buddy Roberts and Michael Hayes, and we know their tactics and everybody else does too. But right now I'd like to introduce my partner, Scott Hall, and Freebirds, I hope you're watching. Well, Scott, I went over the Freebirds would certainly propel you and Kurt to the top of the tag team ratings. Well, that's what we're after, Ken. We're on our way to the top. We know there's a lot of good competition here in the AWA, and that's what we're after. The Freebirds, you know, they're a high-flying team. They call themselves the Fabulous Freebirds. Well, we call ourselves the Dream Team. Freebirds, gear up. We think we're going to give you more than you can handle. Fabulous Freebirds, take a good, hard look at what you got. All right, wrestling fans, remember that Kurt had a right, big baby. Scott Hall. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The duo, sometimes called the Perfect Connection defended the titles over the next several months. Their run would end in May of 86, and the team soon would break up. 
after an unsuccessful stint to become a singles champion in the AWA, Hall went overseas, earning some more experience in New Japan Pro Wrestling while sticking with the AWA until 1989. Hall signed on with the National Wrestling Alliance near the end of the decade, which earned him his first national television exposure. However, it wasn't that successful of a run, with Hall only appearing on one major show during that time period, the 89 Great American Bash. Hall made a brief stint in the 1991 period for the Puerto Rican promotion World Wrestling Council. On March 3rd, he defeated Miguel Perez Jr. for the WWC Caribbean Heavyweight Championship. He enjoyed the reign for only one month before returning to the NWA in 1991. Although by then the region was known as the World Championship Wrestling Promotion. Of course, now Ted Turner taking the reins and to compete more so with the initials of WWF, WCW was born. He was named the Diamond Stud, whose gimmick was similar to Ravishing Rick Rude's, and he was managed by Diamond Dallas Page. Page and Hall built their relationship and became very tight. Personally, this is when I first remember Scott Hall. Right away, I knew he was a presence. He looked different than the other stars you saw on television. He showed a charisma. He oozed the charisma before he left the promotion to ooze in a different manner. We'll get to that. But you could tell right away that this star, this wrestler on the screen, was meant to be a superstar and had it, the it factor. The it factor that, yes, a superstar would need to make it to the main event level. And Hall oozed that. It was coming through the screen. You could just tell that this guy was someone to watch. Diamond Dallas Page was a huge bonus, a huge factor in making Hall what he was, making that Diamond Stud gimmick. He blatantly gave the pieces to the puzzle for Scott to create that character. That Diamond Stud character. I love the name. It fit. I, lo I lo always love the name Stud. And especially fitting with Diamond Dallas Page. Stud, the Diamond Stud, fits so well. DDP stated on many shows, and many podcasts as well, that he's the one that called up Scott Hall to tell him to shave off that historic handlebar mustache that he grew once entering the AWA to substitute for Hulk Hogan. And grow stubble instead dye his hair jet black, and having that dark, mysterious, macho look, and it fit. He looked like a man's man. A completely different man came out from the overhaul look that DDP provided him. Also, the infamous toothpick was used during this time. Well, the bottom line is, Magnum, first of all, you take a guy like the Z-Man, a great athlete. I came down there with a stud just to give him a little of my professional advice. People pay big money for that advice, and he didn't want it. He put his hands on me. He never should have put his hands on Diamond Dallas Page because this man right here 
Six foot seven, 298 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. The diamond stud will answer any problems that people their hands on me. So Z-Man, check it out. When you're back in the locker room, shaving down, blow drying your hair and oiling up. Remember that the diamond studs in the gym slamming and jamming, getting ready for you at the Great American Bash. And when he gets a hold of you, you know what he's gonna do? Tell him, stud. Z-Man, when you cross the stud, you're gonna be seeing 3D. Diamond death drop. Good God. He received a significant push in his early days with WCW, but by the end of 1991, this began to fade, starting with the September 2nd edition of Clash of the Champions, where Stud was defeated by Ron Simmons. At Halloween Havoc, Chamber of Horrors, the team of Stud, Abdullah the Butcher, Cactus Jack, and Big Van Vader lost to Sting, El Gigante, and the Steiner Brothers on that specific show. It made a presence that Scott Hall was involved with other superstars. On the November 19th edition of the Clash of the Champions, Stud lost to Tom Zink in a rematch from the Great American Bash. Then in 1992, he formed the short-lived tag teams with Vinny Vegas, future best friend Kevin Ash, and Scotty Flamingo, now known as Raven, while also teaming with members of Paul E. Dangerously's Dangerous Alliance during this time period. The idea of adding him to the stable fell, fell, though. It fell through, and uh, plans were dropped. However, he left WSW shortly after that point. I thought the Diamond Stud would have been a good fit for the Dangerous Alliance, one of the most underrated stables and factions in the history of professional wrestling. Go back to the best factions, stables of all time, edition on Beyond the Bell, in the archives at btvcast.com. One of our first and early editions, we broke down the Best groups, greatest groups of all time. And the Dangerous Alliance is one of the most underrated. And Scott Hall would have been a great addition as the big bruiser of the group. But things fell through and he left World Championship Wrestling. But then the time came for Scott Hall to enter the promotion he was destined to go to since his early start in the industry. Scott Hall signed a contract with the World Wrestling Federation in 1992, and his character evolved from Scott Hall to that of a man, a machismo, a superstar oozing machismo, known as Razor Ramon, a Cuban-American from Miami. The Latino heel persona was modeled after Tony Montana and Manny Ray, Al Pacino and Stephen Bauer's characters from the movie Scarface. This was generated by Scott and brought to Vince McMahon. Vince hadn't seen the movie, so this character was completely new to him, and it was a hit right off the bat. Hall's nickname was known as The Bad Guy, and the catchphrase, Say Hello to the Bad Guy, were derived out of the quotes from the movie, Say hello to my little friend and say goodnight to the bad guy exclusively. Flip the words around a little bit and you make a star in the World Wrestling Federation. This was huge during the time period of the new generation era. 
in the World Wrestling Federation. We'll cover this era exclusively on another edition of Beyond the Bell. I've compiled all my notes and I'm excited to present the early to mid-90s new generation era. We'll break it down on Beyond the Bell. That's a quick little announcement for you guys. But this character was fitting for its time as Vince was looking for new and upcoming superstars as the departed Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper, Macho Man, Randy Savage, all mishmashed throughout different periods of this era were leaving the company, going to the competitor World Championship Wrestling. And instead, the young blood in WCW jumped ship the proverbial jump ship to the WWF to reinvent their characters, which would springboard them into superstardom. Now, Hall was a part of the World Wrestling Federation, and the gimmick fit and was a hit right off the bat. I can tell you specifically, when I watched the first ever vignette for Razor Ramon, my eyes once again were glued to the television. We take you now, ladies and gentlemen, to a Cuban immigrant, an individual who apparently feels as though the streets of America are paved with gold. Here is Razor Ramon. Ramon. Razor Ramon. I come from the gutter. I know that. I got no education. Who needs it? Look at me. Look at me. Look at the gold. Look at my clothes. I'm a success. I'm coming to the WWF. All I want is what I got coming to me. The world, chico. Everything is that the diamond stud on WWF programming? I said that to myself. I could not believe it. I was so excited because I knew we were going to see a new star in the company. I loved the debut vignettes, which are seeming to be lost now. They, I thought they were coming back. We stated that on a previous edition of Beyond the Bell, but now, over the past few months, past year or so, they've seemed to die down and been non-existent. But the opening introduction vignettes are a classic and critical, I believe, a critical component component of introducing new stars. Yes, we had it with Adam Rose and Bo Dallas leaving NXT to the main roster, but they were done still in a different style. Yes, you had the Ascension, I guess you can consider that uh, opening promo vignettes, but it wasn't done all that well, honestly. But this was different. Scott Hall, now Razor Ramon, walking through the streets of Miami in those multicolored flamboyant shirts, the baggy pants, white pants you would see on a Cubano in Miami. A fitting character, the chest hair oozing out of the shirt, the gold chains, the rings, the jewelry. Again, that stubble on his face, the slick black hair. What a look, and the toothpick in mouth, driving his Lincoln Cadillac all around the streets of Miami. Oh, what a character. You knew you were seeing something different in those vignettes. Made 
raise Ramon's character a hit right off the bat before he stepped through the WWF ring ropes. Take a look at Razor Ramon. I living the good life, man. Me, I know how to relax, chico. I living I like a king. Night. I call you, you never call me back. I thought we had something going. No, chica, you don't understand. You have something. You have a good time. I threw with you now. Get out of here. I threw with you. Adios. Man, the chicas, they're for fun. I probably scar her heart for life. That's too bad. I come into the WWF. Not for fun. You step into the ring with Reza Ramon. It's strictly business, Chico. I'm not going to scar your heart. Oh, no. I'm going to scar your soul. I am Razor Ramon. El Jefe. Who is this guy, Razor Ramon? Like I mentioned, later in his career, Hall claimed he pitched the idea of a Scarface-like character during a meeting with Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson as a joke. Maybe it would stick, Chico. Hall quoted lines with a Cuban accent and gave ideas for vignettes, also inspired by the movie. It would involve Hall recreating several scenes, such as Ramon driving around South Florida in a convertible, with a leopard skin interior, of course. Although his pitch was taken right from the film, McMahon and Patterson were nevertheless floored by the ideas and called Hall a genius. They didn't see the movie, so this was all new to them. They thought he was creating the ideas from right then and there in the meeting. Hall's WWF debut was preceded by his vignettes, with his in-ring debut coming on the August 8th, 1992 edition of WWF Superstars, defeating a local jobber, Paul Von Dow, with his finishing move, the Razor's Edge, which Hall had used this finisher in his run in WCW. Early on, Ramon would wear large gold chain necklaces to the ring and take it off those that were seen in the vignette and give him to the uh, the ringside guy, ringside gal, and of course that Ric Flair would get his robes on, but Razor Ramon would take off his color-themed and color-coded with his pants matching vest, take it off with his gold chains, and he the historically would say, if something happens to this chico, something's gonna happen to you. He looked and talked like such a tough guy. A bad guy, Chico. Hall's first major storyline began on the September 14th edition of Primetime Wrestling, where Ramon interfered in a WWF championship match between the champion Macho Man Randy Savage and the challenger Nature Boy Ric Flair. Ramon and Savage started a feud with each other, which then went on to include the Ultimate Warrior. 
like his previous attempts to win the AWA Championship in the late 80s, Ramon was unable to defeat Bret Hart for the WWF Championship at the 1993 edition of the Royal Rumble. Razor made his WrestleMania debut at WrestleMania 9, defeating Bob Backlund. Right off the bat, after Razor Ramon's debut, he was springboarded into feuds with superstars such as Randy Savage, Ric Flair, Bret Hart, Bob Backlund, and on WrestleMania right away. Right off the bat, Vince McMahon was pushing Scott Hall to be at least the upper mid-card into the main event scene. Hall was skyrocketing in his brand new promotion. And you saw the potential that was missed out with the Diamond Stud character, but now was present with the bad guy, Razor Ramon. One of Ramon's most notable moments came during the May 17th edition of Monday Night Raw in the Manhattan Center. I was live there watching this in person, and I will never forget the upset loss to the jobber known as the Lightning Kid, who would later gain the nickname the 1-2-3 Kid following the upset, a la or now, of course, we know known as Sean Waltman. The kid defeated Razor Ramon in shocking fashion. No one expected it. Like I said, I was eating my chicken fingers before I could even sit down in my seat. The match was over, and Scott Hall lost. Razor Ramon lost to an unknown. He looked like a 12-year-old at that point. Let's just call him the kid. Oh, toothpick. Yeah, toothpick in the old eye routine by Razor Ramon. He's already doing better than he ever has. Look at the disparity in the size here, this youngster. Oh, my. Razor Ramon is very, very, very strong. Yeah, and he's very, very, very confident. Yes, he is, and very, very capable as well. He's the bad guy. And Razor Ramon pretty much at the moment. See the way a cat will get a bird caught and knock the feathers off it before yes. it devours it? Uh, Same thing. Oh my goodness. It, whoa, All Razor. Right. Razor missing. Boy, he really came in with that elbow. And I think Razor stays. One, oh, wait a minute. One, two, three. This began a slow face turn for Razor, who gained both respect for the kid and support from the crowd. Initially, the character was fitting to become uh, in introduced to the organization as a heel. He was the cocky bad guy, tough guy, Jiggle. He was Scarface in the WWE. I'll try uh, not to do too much of my Razor character, but he came in the company as a heel. It was fitting for his first stint, first run into the organization. But after this upset victory for the kid, it slowly turned him the opposite side as fans started to sympathize and started, get, started to get behind this bad guy. 
and instead they looked at him as a good guy. The October 4th, 1993 edition of Monday Night Raw saw Ramon co-win alongside with Rick Martel a 20-man battle royal for the vacant Intercontinental Championship, which was taken away from Shawn Michaels. The next week on Raw, the two faced each other, Martel and Razor, to determine the new champion, with Ramon coming out on top to win the vacant WWF Intercontinental Champion. And I truly believe, I'm not sure if I stated this on our one of our first, very first editions discussing the design history of the Intercontinental title. I know I'll mention it when we break down the history of this championship, the IC title, in a future edition. But I truly believe that Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, was built to wear this championship. I believe him above all any other superstar. This title looks so good around his waist. It looked like it fit perfectly. Better than the old winged eagle WWF Championship. Better than the WSW title, the United States title, the Intercontinental title. The one currently used with the white strap, but at the time it was the black strap, Razor Ramon, and that title looks so good together, especially with the gold chains coming around his neck. Chico, it was a match made in Miami. The title and Ramon were together, and it looks so cool. Plus, not since the Ultimate Warrior was the title seen using a different strap. Razor started to coincide his gear with the strap of the title. It would see the white strap, the yellow strap, a baby baby blue strap. Baby, baby blue strap. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. But again, Razor's character, his charisma even oozed onto the championship. Shawn Michaels returned to claim that what was really his, the real Intercontinental Championship, as he had been stripped of the title months before due to inactivity, in which he was actually on suspension at the time. But HBK began appearing on television with his very own version of the title, the one that he left with, claiming he had never been beaten for it. Of course, it fit. He had justification. In the UFC, they would make an interim champion, and of course, the champion versus champion would go head-to-head with when the previous champion would return. So technically, you could look at Razor being the interim champion. Shawn Michaels had a legitimate gripe. Sunday afternoon, March 20th, with an unprecedented match. And who better to give it to you than the main man himself, the heartbreak kid, the axis in which the World Wrestling Federation revolves around. Shawn Michaels, a ladder match. Two belts hanging at the top of Madison Square Garden, along with all those people hanging from the rafters. The heartbreak kid is going to be up there taking what is rightfully his, the icy belt. Yo, boy toy, you say you're the real champ? I say I am. Too much confusion. WrestleMania 10, Chico? Somebody gonna decide. If it takes a ladder ring, no problema. There's no rules, no ref, no time limit. Somebody, Chico, leaves WrestleMania the real champ. Their feud was showcased with Reyes Ramon taking on Shawn Michaels in the historic ladder match at WrestleMania 10, another moment in Razor's career. 
that I was lucky enough to witness in person. Madison Square Garden. This set the tone. This created, you could say, even the TLC pay-per-view. This created a historic triangle, triple threat, tag team ladder matches that we've seen at WrestleMania's and SummerSlams with the Hardys, Dudleys, and Edge and Christian. This set the bar. This was the first major ladder match seen on a national organization from on a national platform. Some say Shawn Michaels had a match with a ladder, but I truly believe Razor Ramon played a valuable part in what, what, what made this match so very special. And on that night, both titles were hanging from the ceiling of Madison Square Garden, and Razor Ramon pulled both championships, Shawn Michaels and his current title, to become the unified and undisputed intercontinental champion. What a moment for Razor Ramon. First off, from taking on Bob Backlund at WrestleMania, to then WrestleMania 10 winning the, ta- the, the combined intercontinental titles to become the undisputed champion. Razor was flying high and skyrocketing into the top level contendership of superstars in the World Wrestling Federation. He truly was one of their key players. Their match at WrestleMania 10 was considered to be a classic and was voted Pro Wrestling Illustrated Match of the Year in 1994. It was also the first WWF match to receive a five-star rating from Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Razor would go on to win the WWF Intercontinental title four times, making him the first wrestler to hold the title for that record amount. In the early on of 1996, Ramon started started a feud with the newcomer known as Goldust, leading to an intercontinental title match at the Royal Rumble in 96, where Ramon lost the title after his former partner, the 1-2-3 kid, shockingly turned on him. This is when Goldust used the historic intergender bisexual, charismatic character that you weren't sure what his preference were, what he liked. Was he just trying to get into the head of Razor and his opponents and play mind games? That was the storyline that that the company would push. Of course, Goldust unzipping his gold outfit to to show the painted-on tattoo of a heart with Razor's name on it. But it was a solid feud and a key one for to springboard Goldust's career as he debuted in the WWF. But nevertheless, Goldust would take the Intercontinental title and the, fo- the flamboyant colored straps would turn to gold for Goldust. And now, Razor Ramon was a foe with the 1-2-3 kid Sean Waltman, as now Waltman was a bad guy. And Razor's last match through all this, after feuding with the 1-2-3 kid, Battling Goldust, his last match with the WWF came on May 19th in 1996, just a few months later, which was the night of the Madison Square Garden incident. At the time in the WWF, it was well known that there was a clique, you know, a clique of friends in the back, consisting of Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, Diesel, Kevin Nash, Shawn Michaels, 
and Hunter Hearst Helmsley, as well as the 1-2-3 kid. At a house show in Madison Square Garden, again, I wasn't expecting this to be an historic night. I thought it was a usual house show that I was going with my dad to, but on the night, I did witness history. Um, it's amazing what you... The things you don't expect to happen when they do. You know, when even Diesel defeated Bob Backlund to win the WWF Championship, I never expected that. And I never expected what happened on this night in Madison Square Garden. You know, Helmsley defeated Razor, and Michaels won a steel cage match over Big Daddy Cool Diesel Kevin Nash. And after the cage match, both Hall and Helmsley came to the ring with the four men sharing a hug. This has been documented extensively, especially now on the WWE Network. Go back, I think, to the Monday Night Wars edition, talking about the click and the incident and the impact it played on the industry and the wars. So I won't go into too much detail over this because it's been documented extensively. But at this point, this signaled Hall's last, last shot, his last date with the company. This, this broke kayfabe, you know, the rule that wrestling was supposed to seem real. This broke down the fourth wall. And it angered management, but Hall and Ash weren't concerned as they both were leaving the company that made them superstars, the World Wrestling Federation, as Eric Bischoff signed them to World Championship Wrestling. And Scott Hall, alongside his best buddy Kevin Ash, a con- their contracts were a week apart, were now headed back to WCW, the land where he was formerly known as the Diamond Stud. Now, with all this, questions were surrounding what would Hall's future be? Would he go back to the Diamond Stud character and name because he couldn't use Razor Ramon? Diesel, Kevin Ash couldn't use Diesel, Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Would he go back to Vinny Vegas or Oz? Would Diamond Stud and Vinny Vegas be re-debuting in the company? So many questions were bound and a lot were unanswered and more questions were created once we saw the May 27th edition in 1996 of WCW Monday Nitro. During a match on the show, Scott Hall walked out from the crowd with the announcers claiming that he was not under contract with WCW. This led to the implication that he was still working for the WWF. Hall got a mic and insulted various members of the company, and later on in the night, Hall told Eric Bischoff to tell Ted Turner and the rest to get three of their best wrestlers to face him and his friends at the next pay-per-view since they were taking over. Hall was joined by his best friend Kevin Nash a week later, and they formed the duo of the Outsiders. Of course, the historic powerbombing of Eric Bischoff at the Great American Bash, then leading to Bash at the Beach 96 with the six-man tag team match. Macho Man Randy Savage, Lex Luger, and Sting taking on the Outsiders and a mystery partner, which we would soon find out would be Hulk Hogan turning into Hollywood Hogan, and thus the three of them forming the historic group, the NWO, the New World Order. In a sense, it seemed like Ray's Ramon and Diesel were a part of WCW, or should I say, were now created a different group, the New World Order, to invade WCW, and they weren't really a part of the company. This impression gave, well, this storyline and angle gave fans the impression that the WWF was truly invading the company. This, again, recreated Scott Hall's career. 
in which some thought he would flounder not being able to use the moniker of Reyes Ramon. In a sense, he initially com- coming through and re-debuting in the company in WCW, he had still that gimmick of Reyes Ramon talking in that manner, toothpick, even though he wasn't wearing the same outfits. He was wearing blood dripping from his tights, but similar vest. No chains, of course, but you know, same, similar knee pads, just under the version of his real name, Scott Hall. And Diesel would be known as Kevin Nash, his real name, instead of rebranding them as their old monikers. Good choice, solid choice, looking back on it in hindsight, of course. It was quite possibly the biggest turn in wrestling history, seeing Hogan join forces with Hall and Ash, and it started momentum for the New World Order. The next month, Hall and Ash would help Hollywood Hogan win the WSW World title. The stable stormed WSW, enlisting such stars as Click member Sean Waltman, the 123 Kid, now known as Six. They soon would add also the Giant and Buff Bagwell, Ted DiBiase, of course, Virgil. Then it started to get watered down, which we've mentioned on our NWO edition of Beyond the Bell. But a historic moment in Scott Hall's career was that infamous first WCW promo when he debuted on Nitro and really kicked off the, really, this kicked off the Monday Night Wars to really create that head-to-head battle. And this is when WCW really started kicking the behind of the World Wrestling Federation. And Hall was the man that was in the middle of it all. Throughout his entire career, he showed that charisma. And now he showed it in a different manner, creating realism in a company that certainly wasn't known for creating the best characters, but Hall was using that Razor Ramon character and amping him up, amping it up to be more so himself. Now, after the WWF sent a cease and desist order, a legal action to WSW claiming that they were blatantly ripping off their gimmicked characters, Diesel and Razor Ramon, as they were saying, Scott Hall was blatantly using the the accent, the moniker. That was Razor, except not using the name. Thus, they blatantly said on WCW programming that they weren't a part of the WWF. And from there, Scott Hall more so was using his real voice rather than the Miami Cubano, you know, a la Razor Ramon-esque type of tone. And Kevin Ash was always Kevin Ash. His Diesel character was eventually evolved to really what Kevin Ash was. But Scott Hall was the one to change a little bit, little bit more to coincide with the legal action but again Hall made it work regardless fans they were the heels you love to hate and then you wound up loving and not hating because they were cool the outsiders would form one of the most dominant tag teams in professional wrestling history they defeated Harlem Heat Booker T and Stevie Ray at Halloween Havoc 96 for their very first WCW World Tag Team Championship with Nash and Six out with injuries Hall used the last quarter of 97 to focus on singles wrestling. One of Hall's greatest achievements in WCW was winning the 60-man Battle Royal at World War III in 97, earning a shot at the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. His streak continued from the AWA and WWF as he could not defeat Sting at Uncensored of the year 1998 for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. This would be a pattern, of course, that would really sum up Scott Hall's career. So close to the big one, 
We've mentioned this as well on our Just So Close, the one the superstars that the greatest superstars that never won the world title, and Scott Hall was in the top of that list, alongside one of his best friends, Kurt Henning. You know, uh, came so close to winning the AWA title, so close to winning the WCW title, so close with the opportunity to win the WWF title, but just could not pull a trigger, possibly without his personal issues and more longevity in the industry. He would have become champion, certainly with the brand split. If he was active during that time frame, he would have certainly won the world heavyweight title either on the Raw or definitely SmackDown brand because he was a huge star in that manner. But at the time, there was no split titles. There was one title in each promotion, and Scott Hall was just under that tier of winning the championship, which would be unfortunate because he truly is a superstar. Hey, yo. You got to agree that being in Baltimore over the holidays is just too I'm with you. Now you probably heard by now that right at NWO Central we got a little survey going on. Yeah, but you don't have a TV show now, do you? <laughs> and it's real, real simple. You're either with us or you're against us. So, how many people here in Baltimore came to see WCW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now. Yeah, 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 right. How many people in here in Baltimore came to see the Don't worry about a thing. NWO here to stay. After being unsuccessful in trying to obtain the WCW world title, he would be taken off TV for a short time in early 98. While he was absent, the NWO split into two warring factions, NWO Hollywood and NWO Wolfpack. Then at Slamboree 98, in a shocking moment, Hall turned on Nash, costing them the titles and jumping sides to align himself with Hulk Hogan in NWO Hollywood. Hall would mock Nash, calling himself medium sexy, then later Super Sexy, the Nash Killer, as Kevin Nash was known as Big Sexy in WCW instead of Big Daddy Cool in the WWF. And initially, Hall would wear the red blood drip tights to signify the, un the unit with Kevin Nash alongside with Six as the Wolf Pack. Hall would change his tights 
to black and white to signify his alliance with Hulk Hogan and N.W. Hollywood. Scott Hall's character became out of control and would bring alcohol to the ring, and his behavior on TV mirrored his real-life problems with drugs and alcohol. The two former friends eventually faced each other on October 25th at Halloween Havoc 98. After hitting Hall with two jackknife powerbombs, Nash left the ring and lost the match by countout in what was seen as an act of mercy. Hall was then ousted by N.W. Hollywood after Steiner took control in Hogan's absence in late 98. He would then refer to himself as the Lone Wolf and was still as popular as ever amongst fans. At Starcade 98, Hall disguised himself as a security staff member and used a stun gun on Goldberg during his title match with Kevin Nash to cost him his streak and the WCW title as Nash would become WCW champion and officially Goldberg's winning streak was over. And now Hall and Nash were back together. The Outsiders reformed that night. It seemed Nash and Hall were seeing eye to eye again. And it all came to a head in January of 99 when the two NWO factions rejoined. This would lead to Hall's first singles title run at Super Brawl 9 when Hall defeated Roddy Piper for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. This title did look good around his waist too, but not as good as the IC title. At Mayhem 99, he defeated Rick Steiner by forfeit to win the WCW World Television Championship, becoming a double champion. In what would be his last stint in WCW, Hall soon joined teammates Kevin Nash, Bret Hart, Jeff Jarrett, and Scott Steiner in what was coined as NWO 2000, a last dying effort to try to rebrand and rejuvenate the NWO storyline. From that point, Scott Hall was not seen on WCW television. Of course, there was a brief schmoz with Scott Hall, Kevin Ash battling Sid Vicious as he returned to the promotion, but Scott Hall was phased out due to his personal problems, and during that point, WCW had folded and was purchased by the World Wrestling Federation. Hall would run out his contract and then would join and wrestle in Extreme Championship Wrestling for a brief period. He wrestled two non-televised matches, one against Big Sal and the other against Justin Credible, his former click member. Justin was a pseudo-click member with the group. It was all taking place on November 10th and 11th of the year 2000. Then, Hall returned to the World Wrestling Federation and reunited with Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan to repackage the NWO in the WWF in February of 2002. He started a feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin, and they fought each other in a match at WrestleMania 18. It would be, amazingly, eight years since his last WrestleMania match when he would return to take on one, if not the biggest star in the industry. Austin won the match, even though Kevin Nash would interfere. And this storyline between the NWO and Stone Cold would soon phase away as there was the infamous plane ride from hell in which Scott was involved in, in which exemplified and amplified his drug and alcohol problems. 
Hall noted on a previous podcast, I believe it was Steve Austin's, that it was the mo- what really lost his entrance his interest in his return to the company was when they changed the ending to the WrestleMania matchup between him and Austin. Hall was used to Vince McMahon planning things out months and months, if not a year in advance, and instead, the storyline changed rather moments from the actual match itself. And from that point, Hall threw in the towel, threw in the proverbial towel, and basically lost his oomph, lost his go, lost his drive to reinvent himself in the company. Now he'll also go on record stating that. He wasn't at the, his right place, his uh, in the right mindset to give it his all to make this the best go of it as he could have, as 2002 was a tough time for Hall personally and professionally. Scott Hall was soon released from his WWF contract due to his personal issues, and then Hall would work for TNA periodically between 2002, 2005, 2007, and 2010. He was on TNA's debut pay-per-view and was featured on the January 4th, 2010 three-hour Monday Night Live edition of Impact, the night Hulk Hogan made his debut for the company. Sporadically, Scott Hall would show up, but there were also times when Hall no-showed the company for pay-per-view events. We discussed this previously on the show. And Hall's scattered appearances on the independent scene also working for Juggalo Championship Wrestling for the Insane Clown Posse, making sporadic appearances on independent shows. And then a couple of years ago, when he had his sad, sad incident of appearing totally incoherent and on God knows what type of medication and uh, substances, and you could tell that Scott Hall was in need of help. ESPN's E60 featured a documentary detailing Hall's experience with drugs and alcohol. And in early 2013, fellow professional wrestler, fellow best friend, and WHW alumni Diamond Dallas Page invited Hall into his home. The infamous call that Jake the Snake Roberts and DDP made to Scott Hall, which is seen on YouTube, which Hall was totally out of it. I was debating, but then I quickly shut it down. I'm not going to play that for you here on the show. This this, this is to celebrate Razor Ramon and Scott Hall, not to go and exploit his downsides, his negatives. But he was crying for help. And the man that was his manager that springboarded his career in WSW as the Diamond Stud was there for him again to be his manager in his personal life. So, Diamond, pick this up. You were trying to convince him to come and work with you. Uh, that was a struggle, because I know you tried a lot of times. Uh, pick up the story there. Well, not really. I just tried to get a hold of Scotty for years, uh, and he just he never picked up the phone whenever I ever called him, like, ever. Uh, that one day, he, you know, he picked up the phone, and, uh, and mainly the reason I did call him uh, with Jake that day was because Sean Waltman had reached out to us and uh, said, help our buddy out, man. You know, he hit a he hit a dark spot, so real dark. So, we just tried to uh, try to talk him in, and we talked over a couple of, a couple of days, and then we lost touch with him for a while. You know, and then, you know, then we got back in touch. 
Scott, at that time in your life, how, how, how low were you? I mean, I, I think if you're going to talk about the success of where you are today, people got to understand. How, how close to death were you at that point? Well, um, I'd had, I've been having heart episodes since 2010 at that time, and I was on a slew of meds and also living a really unhealthy lifestyle. You know, I was pounding a lot of booze, mixing, you know, pills in whenever I had them. And uh, when I was admitted to the hospital with a, with a heart episode, I was uh, not looking too good. And miraculously, seven days later, I was cleared and turned loose, you know, detoxed off the booze, luckily. And also my heart, you know, given a green light to, to uh, gently start to rehabilitate it. And that's when I took Dally up on his offer. We've been friends for a long time and always been successful, really, in anything we ever did together. And uh, I just feel really blessed that, you know, my buddy here, you got to remember, he's a busy dude. He's plugging DDP yoga worldwide, and he takes time out of his schedule to bring one of his old rascaling buddies into his house, feed me, take care of me. You know, uh, <clears throat> he's a real friend, and I appreciate that. Dallas, you, Dallas. when he walked That's into your house the pleasure, first time, brother, you know. what, uh, what did you see when he walked in the house the first time? I saw a buddy of mine that was beat up, you know, uh, our whole profession, you know, we beat the hell out of our bodies, you know, and then we got to deal with that later. You know, all the, you know, from all the wrestlers out there to all the extreme athletes to the football players, basketball players, you're so beat up by the time you get to the end of it. And, uh, you know, you had, you know, the, trying to mask that pain with the booze and the pills and you get about 10 years into that and then, you're, you know, you're really hurting. And, that, and that's where he was coming out. But he, but there was, there was something in his eye that, you know, he said, I don't know what it is, but it's different. And, and it was really, it was all his work that he put into it, you know, that, that made him want to make that change. And, you know, you can look at him now, he's back to being the bad guy. <laughs> Scott, what was the difference this time? Don't stop posing on my account, by the way. Uh, what was the difference this time, though? Uh, you know, what, how, did, how did Dallas get through to you in a way that nobody else could? Well, I've had the luxury of knowing Dally for a long time, and we've always communicated really effectively and really efficiently. We don't mince words. We don't worry about all the niceties and stuff. We just say it, you know, and so we don't, you know, we, get, we try to get right to the root of whatever we think the issue is and deal with it however we can. I mean, we did that as a wrestling combination years ago, and any time we cross paths and, and other things, I've, I really value our friendship because... There's not a lot of other people that I interact with. I have to feel the need to say to say nice things before I really get to the point. And I, I can fast forward to the issue with Dallas, and I think that's prompted me to have a speedy recovery because you know the doctors and stuff, where everybody's you know tooting my horn that uh, I'm doing so well, and <clears throat> I just feel blessed. Scott, you uh, your son Cody, I know that that you've been helping him. Uh, he's now in the wrestling world. A lot of people would think, "Wow, yeah. why, why would you want your son, who clearly has the tools physically to do it, to go into a world that that has destroyed so many people, including yourself, for a time?" Um, yeah, uh, his mother is not uh, pleased about his decision. Um, I think college ain't for everybody. My daughter, his sister Cassidy, is in college in, in Central Florida. Um, it's he didn't choose that route. So I want to support both my children in any decisions they make. And I do know a bit about pro wrestling, so I feel like it's great. It's allowing Cody and I to get real close together, 
And um, <clears throat> I can only tell them, you know, about what's out there, but I try not to lie to them. I mean, I'm not going to tell them booze and drugs don't work. They do work. You know, it's when you want to quit and you can't that they start to really suck. So I'm just telling them, you know, I enjoy my relationship with Cody because we talk to each other honestly. I never really talked to my old man, so I didn't have that advantage. So I'm trying to, uh, you know, tell him what I can, but I think at the end of the day, you know, when you close your eyes at night, we ultimately all make our own decisions. So all I can really do is pray for him and guide him the best I can. But, okay, before we... You know, there's a real ups... There's a real, well, there's a real upside to pro wrestling, too. There's a lot of focus on all the deaths, but I think maybe if you look at a guy like Brett, you mentioned earlier, and uh, guys like Hogan and, and Roddy Piper, there's a lot of guys who've been around a long time and, you know, weathered the storms and have got, you know, been successful and everything. It's not just a bunch of dudes partying themselves to death. Okay, before we wrap this up, I'd love for you, Scott, to, to talk to people who maybe are where you were a few years ago. And, and your world words, uh, I think, will help them realize that things can change. Let me hear. Here's the sound bite for you, bro. I tried to quit looking in the rearview mirror so much because rearview mirror is small compared to, like, the windshield. And I'm... You know, I made some mistakes when I look back, but I can't do anything about it. Although I've tried and punished myself for years over it. Now I'm just looking forward. And in the windshield, I see Cody and I see my daughter Cassidy and I see a big, bright future. And I'm just focusing on that. You know, I don't know if that's going to help anybody, but that's really all I got. Diamond Dallas Page, Jake the Snake Roberts, their trio helped each other. DDP helped him stay sober and rebuild his life from the ground up physically, mentally, professionally, and spiritually. Page also initiated a fundraising drive which raised nearly $110,000, $30,000 over their goal to pay for a hip replacement surgery and dental work for the bad guy. And for the first time, Scott Hall saw that his fans really cared about him. He was never social on the social networking sites up until this point, and he engaged with his fans. And he saw his fans loved him. They wanted their bad guy. And he gave him that. Hall, to this point, now, he's had a couple slip-ups in which DDP will document extensively. But he is sober, healthy, and last year, he was inducted to the WWE Hall of Fame under the Razor Ramon moniker. I personally feel they used that gimmick to put him in because they probably want to also uh, induct him into the the organization into the WWE Hall of Fame under the NWO organization, the NWO group as a whole, kind of like what Ric Flair did with Ric Flair himself, then Ric Flair with the rest of the Four Horsemen. I feel the Scott Hall character will be, will be put in with the NWO, as the Razor Ramon character itself is definitely a Hall of Fame character. But this story does have a happy ending, as sadly, Scott Hall's career could have been taken so much further. His potential was so much greater, but due to personal issues, it was cut short in certain aspects. But he's healthy, he looks good, he's bouncing back, and hopefully there's a future for Hall in the industry behind the scenes, possibly behind the mic. I love to see him in the commentating booth. He'd be a great agent. He's got such a great mind for the industry. 
Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, is one of the greatest superstars, most charismatic superstars. Very underrated for his in-ring work. He could work with big men, small men, from Diesel to Shawn Michaels. He could work with them all. He oozed machismo. He oozed charisma. And he is certainly fitting to be classified as one of the greatest characters and superstars in professional wrestling history. Thank you, Razor Ramon. Thank you, Scott Hall, for all of you done. You are truly the bad guy. If you asked Razor how he was doing, the standard response was, better than you, Chico. I learned that when I stepped through that curtain that I could have a relationship as a performer with an audience. And it was a powerful thing to me, whether I was the hated villain or the beloved hero. And that was something that I've always treasured. So thank you to all the wrestling fans here. and all the fans watching around the world. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. fan of wrestling shoot DVDs, wrestling action figures, wrestling memorabilia? The SNS Radio Network is an affiliate of HighSpots.com. So when you go to the SNS Radio Network site, click on the High Spots banner on the main page, and it takes you directly to High Spots. Now, I'm not saying you need to buy something from HighSpots.com, but if you do, you're helping to support the SNS Radio Network by going through High Spots on the link on the SNS Radio Network page. And every purchase gives a kickback to the SNS Radio Network, helping us keep all the programming here free for you. Get ready for takeoff as we are headed to the land of the extreme. Whether you never experienced it or miss the old school days, Sean Beckerman and Beyond the Bell takes you back in time to relive the history of extreme championship wrestling with the ECW 101 series. Go back in time, chapter by chapter, year by year, and relive the extreme promotion from its very beginning and Eastern championship wrestling to the downfall and their national exposure on TNN. Relive the hardcore history of extreme championship wrestling now on btbcast.com. Get ready to go extreme on Beyond the Bell. Chicos and Chicas, we took a trip back in time to relive the Hall of Fame career of Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, this week on Beyond the Bell. One year in the making, a little late, but we got it done. We finished off 
the 2014 edition of the WWE Hall of Fame. And I'm so excited in just a couple short weeks to bring you this year's class of the Hall of Fame. We'll kick it off with the two-part series dedicated to the Macho Man Randy Savage, the inductee for 2015. I'm so stoked. Ooh, yeah, for that one. Well, fans, Scott Hall's career, undeniably a Hall of Fame one, to say the least, and I hope he's not done in the professional wrestling industry. Next week, we cover the professional wrestling ring, the history of the wrestling ring itself. What's it made out of? The ropes, the posts, the mat, apron, all-encompassing. What consists of the wrestling ring, the history of the ring, the evolution over the years, as well as the different styles of rings, shapes, sizes of different promotions that were utilized throughout the history of professional wrestling, as well as we'll go back and relive an article courtesy of WWE.com from one of the designers and creators of the WWE rings. And he talks about the adaptations for different environments for big-time shows that the WWE ring exclusively has went under. So that's all next week, the wrestling ring on Beyond the Bell. So, fans, we're going to wrap it up with our theme of the week, the old-school song of the week. We'll be dedicated, of course, to the Hall of Famer Scott Hall. This is entitled Marvelous Me. This was his, his theme song in TNA Wrestling as it had the very similar beat as to his Razor Ramon bad guy theme music. So we'll take it home with the lyrical version, Marvelous Me, his TNA theme. So until next week, fans, when we rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling, this is your Hall of Fame party host, Sean Beckerman, signing off. And as always, stay old school, my friends.